Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Today's scripture reading is uh, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, amen. Man, what a sweet, sweet time celebrating who Jesus is. We're so grateful that you are here this morning. It is truly an honor. And I want you to think about your normal week. And just, I'm going to ask you a couple questions I'd like for you to reflect upon. If you're not normally in church on a, like a weekly basis, you know, maybe, okay, for some of us, three times a month, two times a month. Can you just reflect? Why not? You just ask yourself that question. Why not? I'm, now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. We won't embarrass you that way, but, but why not? What's the reason that it's not a part of your life? Now, it may be that you think all of this is nonsense. And if you do, can I say welcome? We're glad you're here. Truly. It may be that you, 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 you hear this stuff about religion and the afterlife and salvation, and you're just like, yeah, that has nothing to do with paying my rent or paying my mortgage or making sure my kids get to school on time. It may be that for you, there's just other things you'd rather be doing. And whatever the reason is, and for some of you, you've had a really bad experience in church. Maybe you grew up in church or you you were hurt by a church and you walked away from that. And you said that if that's who God is, if that's the people that represent him, then I want nothing to do with that. Whatever your reason, you probably have a really good one. Right? It's probably not something you just happened upon. It's probably something that you thought about. And so can I just say, welcome. Now, I want to ask you a second question that's related to the first one. What does God look like to you? And not, you know, does he, is he an old white guy with a flowing white beard and dressed in all white and throws thunderbolts at people? Not, not, not that. What is his posture towards you? How does he look at you? Is he pleasant to be around? Is he a he at all? Something. You see, I have a thesis, and it's, it's this working theory, of course, that these two things have everything to do with one another. 
That the way that you see God and the way that you think he sees you will tell you everything you need to know about whether any of this church or religion or Jesus is worth giving an hour of your week to, much less your life to. And I want to invite you this morning to imagine with me as we listen to Jesus of Nazareth do what he so often did, tell his story here this morning, what God looks like. And so no matter where you're coming from today, just hold that image in your mind. And my hope for you is that maybe you'll see a glimpse of something different. And so as we do that, as we tell this story that Jesus told in a Galilean village some 2,000 years ago, I also want to just cast a little bit of the vision for this church and just personally as a pastor share my heart with you. So I'm grateful that you're here. If you have a Bible, they do print those. You can turn over to Luke 15. If not, the, uh, the story will be on the screen over here. So I invite you to Luke chapter 15. It's in the New Testament. It's a, this book of Luke is a biography of Jesus written by somebody after his death describing the things that he did. And so if you're new to the library of scripture, uh, we'll always try to bring you along in that. But it's towards the right in the New Testament gospel of Luke. I'm going to turn over there myself, so I invite you to do the same. In Luke 15, beginning in verse 11, it said, Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. You see, the thing we so often miss about Jesus is that he was a genius. Now, you might think if you're God in the flesh that you kind of have the answers to the test. That may not be fair. But Jesus was a master storyteller. And one of the things that Jesus had that even some of the greatest storytellers lack is that he was able to be brief. And so he's going to tell this world-changing story in a matter of sentences. And in this setting, Jesus weaves this tight story about a father and his two sons. Now, one of the principles in public speaking is that as as you begin, you want to start strong. You want to bring people in. You welcome your audience with this sort of invitation to imagine something or this twist on something maybe they've heard, but they're like, I've never heard it that way before. And Jesus does this masterfully. You see, he starts, there was a man who had two sons. And the people listening to him are saying, yeah, we got that. We're we're tracking with you. Whatever you think about Jesus and religion in general, notice how common and how this worldly this story is. So we start to see Jesus isn't talking about some far off place. He's saying, look, there was a man who had two sons and that has everything to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons, but this is where he sets his trap. He says, there was a man who had two sons and the people listening are saying, yeah, 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 we got it. But then he says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Now, I'll just let that be. The record that was spinning so smoothly now screeches to a halt. You see, Jesus' audience would be gasping. He said, what? Now, it's actually not that difficult for us some 2,000 years later to understand why. You see, in our culture, just like Jesus's, when do people receive an inheritance? When they die, right? 
And so effectively, what might this young son be saying to his father? Father, I wish you were dead. But he still wants his stuff, right? How painful for this father. This younger son is saying to him, I have no use for you. I don't want relationship with you. I don't want to be around you. I simply want you for what you can give to me. And I would like that right now. Now, Jesus' listening audience would have had very specific expectations for what was to come next. The first century Jewish world, which Jesus was a Jewish man thoroughly and through and through, like many cultures still today, was patriarchal. The father was the end-all, the be-all of the family. And fathers in this culture had no qualms about, shall we say, taking their belts off. And putting people in line. And so the people listening to Jesus are hearing this younger son disrespect his father. And they have every expectation about what comes next. This younger son is going to get a giant-sized patriarchal first century beatdown. That's the Greek. That's what it was originally written as. This father was to put his son in his place. It was, it was not just a cultural expectation. It was the very fabric around which the culture revolved around. This kept things in order and in line. But remember, Jesus is a genius. Jesus is a master storyteller. And often where his audience expects one thing to happen, something quite different happens. And look what this father does. He goes on. Jesus says, so he divided his property between them. Snap. Jesus closes the trap. The audience is sitting there. The father did what? What kind of father is this? He gives in to this insolent son. The father divides his property amongst the town. And now you have to understand the father can't just go to the ATM and withdraw some funds. The first century Jewish world was not a cash-based society. The father's not just like, here, take some, take some hundreds here and go about your way. He has to sell things. He has to sell land and livestock. And so this whole transaction isn't just private where the father just kind of uh, silently gives to the son. This tra- transaction becomes public. Everybody in the village begins to know that something is going on with this father and his two sons. And I think Jesus is saying something incredibly profound about the kingdom of God here. The father doesn't resist the son. He doesn't say, well, son, let's talk about it. He gives in. Friends, Jesus will not coerce us. He will not say, go this way. He will say often to us, for better or worse, as you wish. And so this son then takes his newfound wealth and his freedom, and he makes good on his promise. Jesus' day was different from our own. How many of you are from New Jersey? You were born and raised here. All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I cannot believe the amount, the lack of pride. Show some pride in your state. Everybody's bashing you guys. Well, we're so glad you're here. Now, how many of you are new here? You moved here for a job or for school or for some other reason, and you're so grateful to be here, right? The best place you've ever lived. Welcome. Yes. Part of our church is a sort of propaganda campaign for the state of New Jersey, so we're so glad you're here. Now, it's not uncommon in our culture for people to move far away from home. 
present company included, my wife and I, uh, about 11 years ago, packed up a U-Haul and moved to Oklahoma, or moved from Oklahoma to New Jersey. And we love it here. We love the people. Uh, Not easy being away from our families, though, who are all, some of them are here, some of them are cheering us on, and let me just say we love you guys. But in Jesus' culture, young men often live their whole lives within a single square mile. Right? Like they didn't travel uh, to live somewhere else. They didn't get a great job at Amazon and say, hey, mom and dad, I'm moving to Seattle. We'll see you later. Many times they lived and, and houses in Jesus' day would just be added on to. They would just say, okay, the son has gotten married now. We need a new wing for the house. Let's just keep building. But here we see the depth of this son's disdain for his father. He says, I wish you were dead. And then he makes good on his promise. He couldn't text his dad or FaceTime him. His data plan ran out. But he moves far away. Far away from his father, cutting himself off from any contact with his previous life. And from any relationship or interaction with his dad. Jesus goes on. When this young son had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and yet no one gave him anything. This younger son comes to the end of himself. He has spent everything he has, and Jesus adds these little details that just make it even worse. As we contemplate and we are met with this beautiful life of Jesus, and this is what we will do here at Ecclesia. We will hear him tell stories. We will reflect on who he is, and we will let that shape and direct our lives. But I always want to bring you back to this, and I've already said it once, that Jesus was a Jewish man, and he told stories to Jewish audiences. And so when this audience hears that this young man is now feeding the pigs, they know that he is beyond rock bottom. That he is lower than low. That he has been humiliated and dehumanized. He's lost not only his father, he's lost his religion. He's lost the very source of his life. And friends, maybe you're here today and you can relate. Maybe you're here today and you say, I know what it's like to have lost everything. I know what it's like to be completely alone, to be completely ashamed. Friends, if that's you today, welcome. If you hold on, I believe God has something to say to you personally today. Jesus continues telling the story in verse 17. He says, but when he came to himself, this young son, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. You see, the son has an epiphany. He will return to his father's house. But there is one very important detail that Jesus throws into the story that gives us insight into the son's thinking. The son thinks to himself, I will go to my father's house. I will confess to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. We're all tracking here, right? Now, this guy's got a ton to say he's sorry for. 
But notice what he says next. When you read a story, especially a story that was written in a time where there were limited resources of paper and limited space to put in details, there are no unnecessary details. And Jesus adds this little thing. The son says, will say to his father in his uh, theoretical dialogue, treat me like one of your hired hands. You see, the hired hands were the workforce of a first century agrarian household. They were not part of the household like a slave or a servant or a son would be. Remember when we talked about the first century household? How the father was the sole voice of authority, how he was the alpha and the omega? Now, why would this younger son be asking to be made a hired hand? Is he secretly hoping that his father will make him his son again? Not exactly. This younger son hasn't changed his disposition of his heart at all. His circumstances have changed. He needs something now. He needs something again from his father. But he still does not want to live in his father's house. No, his plan is that he will go back to his father's house because he knows his father is a good businessman and always has enough to feed even in the midst of a famine. He will go back to his father's house and he will say, Father, and he's still ordering his father around, treat me like one of your hired hands. This younger son still wants to live his own life. He still wants to to call his own shots. And so he says, I will go back to my father's house. But he still doesn't want the relationship he wants the things his dad can offer but he doesn't want to be in a face-to-face interaction with him so this younger son like so many of us determines i will fix this i will pull myself up by my own bootstraps i don't need anybody to help me sure he needs some food yeah but he doesn't need his dad and so this younger son sets off for home Now, you have to understand, again, I'm pulling you back into this first century world. The first century world was an introvert's worst nightmare. Any introverts in here? I don't expect you to raise your hand. Oh, you did. Wow. Okay, cool. The first century world was a public world. It was so hard to be alone, so hard to find a moment of privacy. Because, again, you're living in a house, not with just one generation, but with multiple generations. You're, you're, you're in a space where everybody knows your business, which is not exactly fun. And so all that has transpired with this son and this family is sort of public knowledge at this point. Everybody knows what has happened. And furthermore, people held a communal view of property. And so it's not that everybody thought that they owned the father's stuff just like he did. But what they thought was, this father lives in our village. Therefore, our village has more than we would have. And so this younger son has wasted away the resources, not only of his family, but of the community itself. And they, the village, would be offended because this younger son has squandered what belonged to them. And as this son approaches the village, remember, he set off towards his father. The whispers would start. He's back. That son's come home. And a crowd would begin to assemble. Not much different than if you were to yell fight in this middle school cafeteria on a Monday. The effect would be the same. People start 
gathering. People start coming in to see what's going to happen. And they would begin, because they were offended that this younger son had squandered their property, they would yell at him, you're not welcome here. This place is not your home anymore. Go back to where you came from. And so the son is walking. And he's hearing these, mo- these mocking sort of yells and shouts. He's he maybe even having stones and rocks thrown at him. But he just he keeps going. And just at the moment where the son is about to give up, he's walking, he's exhausted, weary from traveling, from not eating for weeks, he picks his head up. And he can see something off in the distance. There's a figure running towards him. And the son, again, he's, he's so tired. His first thought is, just as everything's going wrong, he just says, is this guy coming to hurt me? He's sort of too weary to defend himself, so he just stands there like a deer in headlights. But as the figure grows larger, as it becomes, it becomes into focus, the son comes to an even stranger conclusion. He, he looks again and he says, that, that, that looks like my dad. No, but it couldn't be. You see... Not, not, not for anything. I, I mean, my dad is, is an old man, and old men in this society, they, they don't run. No, running was for younger men. You, you see, if you were an old man, you had these flowing robes, and you would have to hike them up. And in this society, exposing your legs was, was shameful. Running was something that young men did. Running was for fools. Some of you said amen. But he could, he looks up and he sees this figure running towards him and he, he just can't shake the notion that it's, it's his father. And as the figure grows closer, he can see it clear as day. It's his dad. And he's running. And, and, and the son can see the tears in his eyes. He can see the joy in his face. He is running, arms open wide. And as he reaches him, he nearly knocks him over with the force of his embrace. You see, as the crowd was mocking, the father turns all the attention towards himself. They're all focused on this son, and they want this son to pay for what he's done. And the father runs to him. The father turns all the attention of the crowd towards him, and he runs right by them, and he embraces his son. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And now notice, notice what the son says next in verse 21. It says, then the younger son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you remember the speech that he had rehearsed? There's something missing. Remember that whole bit about him making, uh, the father making him a hired hand? Why did the son now leave that part out? Now, I used to think when I read this story, and it's equally beautiful, that the father interrupted him. That the son was going to say the rest of the speech, but the father just interjected right before he could begin to say the next part. But you know what? I don't think that anymore. Something for this son has changed. Remember, the son was going to be a hired hand. He was going to live off the father's property. He was going to take care of his own business and just work for the father. But something has changed. 
So what happened to the son's plan to become a hired hand, to take care of things for himself? The father ran. The father ran to the son. The father took the shame that the village was directing toward the son, and he made himself a fool all for this son. This is now twice that this father has completely embarrassed himself in front of this community, all for his son. And for the first time, if you recall that image of God in your mind, for the first time, this son sees his father for who he is. He sees the extravagant love. He sees how deeply this father longs for him. And in the face of this incredible kind of love, the son has no plans. He has no orders to direct towards his father, only confession. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And look at what the father does next. He calls to his servants, quick, bring out a robe, the sign of sonship. Not just any robe, bring my best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. That means he has our household's authority. Put sandals on his feet. Hired hands and servants don't wear sandals. And now, now we're going to have a party. Go out into the field. Get that giant cow that we've been saving for just the right occasion. And sorry, vegetarians, but Bessie's got to die. Because we're having a barbecue. And for this son of mine was dead. He is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. And the village itself began to celebrate. Now remember what made the son finally make his way for home in the first place? There was a famine in the country that he was in. The son restored to life in his father's home doesn't just mean that the family gets to have a party. No, again, this is not a private world. The father says, hey, all of you who were yelling at my son, all of you who were saying, go away, come sit down to a feast. The father's love makes a feast in a world of famine. What an incredible story, right? Jesus is really brilliant. And when I think about the kind of church that I want Ecclesia to be, when I look at who we are called by God to be in this place at this time, I couldn't tell any story but this one. A couple of things I want to highlight as, a, as just a way of setting the vision for our church. First, this younger son's heart and posture towards the father didn't change until he finally saw the father for the first time. Until he saw the father run. Now, I can think of so many people in my life who had a, either had a terrible experience growing up in church. Um, they think that God is, is concerned with these sort of absurd rules. Or that God is completely irrelevant to anyone's life. I can think of so many people I've had interactions with that just say like, yeah, I, I just can't see how that would have anything to do with my day to day. But when we see God for who he really is. When we see the father running towards those who have been convinced that they are forgotten and outcast, that they have broken their lives beyond repair, that they will always be known by their worst failures, that they will always be uh, sort of a lost cause. When we see the father running to those kinds of people, something completely different happens. So church, Ecclesia, we will be about this story. About telling it and living it as beautifully and as joyfully and as hopefully as we can. 
We will proclaim the gospel that not only as the father runs to his son, that Jesus himself will climb upon a cross, will take all of the shame that was meant for us, and will wear it upon his own shoulders. And in doing so, he invites the entire world to a feast that we will celebrate momentarily. But Ecclesia, we will be a people who believe in this gospel, that somehow that telling this story, that living it, in beautiful and in countercultural ways, truly does change everything. And second, and finally, the sun coming home results in a feast for the whole neighborhood. Everybody's invited. We believe that as God brings us home, because we were once prodigals, once people who had squandered our lives away, and God brought us in and he said, come here, I love you, see me for who I am. As God brings others home, that it's not just that we have this nice salvation that we keep to ourselves, but that our life is now changed forever and is lived on behalf of the world around us. That we are to invite the entire world, the entire neighborhood to a feast. And like we're throwing a party today just to say that maybe this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, we won't always just have beef. So if you're our vegan friends in here, we'll, we'll throw a nice kale salad together for you. We're, we're here for you. But we believe that when sons and daughters come home to who they were made to be in the eyes of their beautiful father, that a world of injustice towards children, a world of injustice towards orphans, a world of isolation, of anxiety and shame, that there is another way that is proclaimed, a more beautiful and communal way. And Jesus is inviting us to embrace it. The father goes to his son outside the walls. There's another son in this story that we won't read. The father also goes to him. The life and the renewal happens outside of these walls. It happens as we go to those who have been marginalized. It happens as we go to those who have been outcast by our society. And Ecclesia, as we proclaim the beauty of this Jesus, as we live in his way, his life will constantly call us outside of these four walls. And again, we, we have a great advantage because this isn't even a church. We have to go. Jesus is inviting us to the places where he is, to be amongst the poor, to be amongst his friends. This is the people that Jesus is calling us to be. And if you're here today for the first time, we'd love for you to join us on that mission. And so, friends, I, just as a way of closing here today, I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes because as we started with sort of an imaginary space. Close your eyes. And now imagine this story playing out. Imagine that the Father is running to you. Imagine that he is running, arms extended, tears of joy in his face, robes flowing. He looks like a fool. But he is coming to you. What would that change in your life? For some of you, it, it may change everything. For others of you, you may sit in church every week, but you've never seen that God doesn't just put up with you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He actually likes you. He actually looks down the road longing for you to come and be near to him. 
He is running to each one of us. His arms are open wide. He is abundant in mercy and steadfast love. Friends, he loves you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.